Hello, puppies and kittens, and welcome to the Petropolis podcast. My guest today is Spencer Hodgetts of Rebound Dog. Spencer, welcome. How are you? Thank you for having me, Taz. I'm very well, thank you. It's been, um, I was going to say it's siling it down, but that's northern English for raining. <laughs> yeah, it's been wet here for a few days. So we're, we're forecast to have a heat wave for two weeks, but when it happens, we don't know. <laughs> well, you're in the UK. So in um, the UK. If people don't recognize an accent, but it doesn't mean you're not in the US, but you are the founder of Rebound Dogs. Correct. Right? What's Rebound Dog, Spencer? Tell me all about it, my friend. I've got this very strong belief that the undesirable dogs, the ones that have been kicked around, the ones that are not being listened to, the ones that have been in rescue shelters for too long, but, and the disadvantaged people, whether they're what you call in the States, the incarcerated, the prisoners, whether they're the homeless guy or the lady sitting on the street, whether they're a person with some form of autism, those that aren't listened to, the ones going back to school day when we weren't listened to because for some reason we something didn't gel, we didn't fit. We don't fit into labels. And I've got a great passion for both of those groups, the dogs and the people, that we have a right to live and participate within society, not being sit in the dark shadow somewhere down and the hand drops off the screen. And for too long, the majority of Western society in particular has labeled us in a and immediately judged us. We're prejudged. As soon as we say we're safe, in my background, I've been a truck driver for many years. I'm a truck driver. You're instantly labeled. And as you and I have commented before, the US and the UK, especially during COVID, would have ground to halt if we'd stopped driving. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But it's that label and it pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. It gets my goat. And I've been kicked around most of my life and so is my wife and it and, and it bugs me and what it's given me is that resilience to stand up on behalf of people who can't be listened to so the idea behind rebound dog was looking at what i could do in my 60s to help dogs in the rescue scenario whether in shelters or or need rehousing or fostering or how i could become a dog trainer and maybe go into like you have in the states the 300 and prison dog programs or become a, a dog trainer that helps vets with PTSD and so forth. And I looked and I thought, hey, how minute? Yeah, maybe if I was 30, 40 years younger, I'd probably get some impact. And I've got this mad idea that I'll change the world before I pop my clogs. So how do I do that? I, I use my life experience of getting other people to sit up and listen. Those are the, who are the influencers on behalf of those who can't be heard either they don't have the social life skills or they've been ignored and they don't have the confidence. So using that skill set that I have, I launched Rebound Dog on May 18th, 2020 to bring together the influences in the pet advocacy and the mental health slash therapy, professional canine therapy world. So we could collaborate on projects that would enable those people and those dogs to actually participate in society. And what is needed, and I was writing about it today, is that we need new solutions. We need disruptive solutions. We've been, re I was about to say recycling dogs, but I'll come on to that because it's a thing I've got to be in my bonnet. We've been rescuing dogs in the UK. The Dogs Trust originated in 1891, 130 years ago. 
Um, a local one to us has been going since 1909 in the rescuing pit ponies out of the mine, the coal mines. But we've still got this huge issue. And the figure is something like, and I'm not going to crib my notes, say, say there's 60, 60 odd thousand dogs produced in the UK every year by professional licensed breeders. That's less than 12% of the total number of puppies that are produced in the UK per year. Yet, so you've got that figure, 67,000. And if it right. is 12%, it actually extrapolates to half a million. So half a million puppies are produced in the UK every year. So you've got 500,000 five fingers. On the other side of the coin, you've got 100,000 at any one time are in rescue in the UK. So that's a fifth of the total number. So of those, in the way I'm using those figures, of those half a million, one fifth will always be going into shelter, into rescue. And of those 100,000, 20% have been rehomed, have been there twice. And what are so, those rehomings? Uh, why are those animals being rehomed? Is it because they're misunderstood? It's, it's not usually the animal's fault, but there's no, I'm not laying blame saying X, Y, and Z. There's a whole mixture of reasons. It can be the, um, the new owner doesn't have the skills to look after it. It could not be a change of it. Not everyone should have an animal. I'm sorry. No, I no, think, no. I don't think no, everybody should no, have no. it. Just like not everyone should have a kid. Are we rescuing or are we recycling dogs? Because at the moment we seem to have this churn mm -hmm. of dogs that are going through the system. So yep. with Rebound Dog, what I know of it is that you are bringing people together, people from various aspects of the pet industry, rescue or the industry as a whole. Um, you're bringing everyone together to have conversations to bring about change right and this is in a um for-profit platform rebound dog is a for-profit platform it's not a non-profit right and in this group you have meetings and so far you've had two i believe right two meetings yes, and they are, yes we have okay and they are where we're essentially sitting around in a vir virtual living room and we're having discussions about what it is that's happening and how we can impact positive change. Um, you had, am I, am I off or is that? Is no, that you, no, you, no, you're totally correct. The idea was that obviously during COVID we couldn't have um, meetups or networks in situ, whether in New York or whether in London, UK right. or, or Australia. And everybody's been using zoom and raving about it i don't particularly like the box shape that we're sitting in little squares like the boxes <laughs> on my wall planner behind me and that's all we see it's not informal what we need is to have conversations like you and i are having as if we're sitting in our on our sofa and there's no formality as such there's no there's no status we're breaking, it's breaking down the silos and it's bringing the big influences of the world together in the pet industry. You've mentioned two that we've hosted so far. The first um, guest we had was Mike Boba, the president and CEO of PJAC, the Pet Interest Joint Advisory Council out of Washington, DC. 
You know, I, I remember when you when you announced that. Can I can I just mm, sure. I remember when you announced that Mike Bober was going to be your first guest. And my first thought about that was, hmm, why is the head of one of the biggest lobbying group, pet industry lobbying groups, interested in being part of this small platform? You know, it kind of surprised me. And then I was intrigued because I thought that's a really great space for people to go and be able to talk to him about the issues with animal welfare because, you know, they're very pro uh, pet businesses that sell animals. But then again, they also do a lot of good um, in setting standards. So it's this multi-layered dysfunctional industry that the pet industry, the, the pet industry is a multi-layered dysfunctional industry, mm-hmm. like many other industries, right? But I was, um, I really wanted to be part of that conversation. Unfortunately, I couldn't be a part of it. I wish I had been, um, but I found it interesting. And, and you had some good outcome from that meeting. Yes, I did, because going back to this thing where you question why somebody from such a powerful organization would become sit on a sofa with me and my guests. It's because one of the long-term goals I want for Rebound Dog is where what I call the membership village becomes educational. So we can educate the next generation of pet advocates so they can come to learn from your experience in the pet retail world and the nutrition world and other members of what, what is actually happening and how they, I'll use the word lobby very broadly but lobby stand up for change to be an organization to they say they set their own organization and mike happened to comment on a post i'd put on that link on linkedin he went i love it so i went oh thanks very much and that's all it was it was just a casual conversation we're having on linkedin he he responded to this post he said i love it so i just went out and said oh mike would you like to be our first guest and he said yeah how do i do the powerpoint i said you don't do powerpoint you want you to come in he said, what would you like to talk about? And Tom Van Winkle, the CEO of Hinsdale and Humane Society up in Chicago, had mentioned one of his concerns was pit bulls and BSL, breed-specific legislation, mm-hmm. which is what being jackass is. So he came and explained the viewpoints of what and how Pink Jack actually agreed with most of the pet. And I think this is, I make him refresh, using my own word. But basically, there's a lot of agreement with what they're doing and the rest of the pet industry is. So he came and had a natter on a sofa. And what came out of the conversation with other members after he'd given, given the talk of what, what was happening that he saw from his lobbying side and the other side was, and it's hitting all the time, this is need for education. And whether whether it's in the education of pet advocates or whether it's in the, you talked to, when we talked about 20% of the dogs being in the UK have been in, excuse for two twice education of pet owners not just dog training it's education of pet owners and what came out of it was his suggestion an agreement that in his words there is a need for a for-profit slash non-profit partnership in the field of and i'll use words loosely responsible dog ownership which may lead in time to removing some of these issues we have in the rescue world. This is what these 
this is what I, I had envisioned of. And I've sat in corporate board meetings with global CEOs round a round table and had 35 translators translating my words to the, that many audiences in, in, in Europe and seen the power structures that involved. And I wanted to bring those power structures out of it. Mm -hmm. So it's just, he brings his knowledge in, you bring your knowledge in, whoever. And the second guest who kindly uh, offered to talk to us was um, Carmen Rustenberg, the CEO of um, IBSA, the International um, Boarding and Pet Services Association in the States, mm -hmm. who this year, our promoter, is launching a, um, an actual real conference this year for the first time, because last year it was virtual. Wonderful. And that's happening in Florida in September, I think. And Carmen came and talked about how the small business pet, pet um, businesses can actually um, help their local um, societies, how they can participate within the local society, the local audience. So they're actually, and by doing so, they're benefiting their business. Yeah, having that community mindset. That's the word I'm looking for. Along yeah, with yeah. the pet, um, pet sitters and the dog walkers uh, yes, in the community. It joining forces so we can, so every party can benefit. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's coming together um, with like-minded people who want to do good for the animals. And that's and what the, you're offering. And that's what I'm offering is, is eventually it will grow to what I call a platform. So it mm -hmm. becomes a platform where what you've just said is like-minded people can come together. It, I'm looking for the technology when the funding permits and we've grown large enough that that can happen without I can provide the platform and others can use it as a communication tool. You have an impressive list of members. You have several people in the field of psychology. You have heads of humane society. You have a very impressive group of members. Um, tell me how you connected with these folks and what are the next steps that Rebound Dog is going to be taking and growing? How I connected, I sat back when I went started this process and looked at how I could achieve, get to where I am now. I thought, well, everybody talks about an ordinary business connecting with people on social media. So where do these people hang out? So for a long time, I'd been observing what people were posting and doing so. It's the same, it's the same but it's a business research thing. So I looked at the, and I started creating, and the other thing you need to do if you are going to use social media, is, in, is engaging is engaging conversations. So I, I for a long time, have been engaging in one-on-one -on -one conversations and it built trust, it built a relationship up. So when I started to decide that, yes, I need to do something, I need to provide this basis of rebound dog to grow, I just asked. And that's all I do is I invite and I ask. I don't, I don't actually go and sell, I don't, spend 10 hours a day spamming people with emails it's a conversational relationship and the reason behind that is that rebound dog as with any social impact network needs people who want to take action it doesn't need to grow to a facebook group of ten thousand people that just go like 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 like, like all, the way, all the way through and do that all. and that's what it needs it needs people who've got the experience in the industry who've done something, like Tom, like Caroline Griffin with her wonderful Show Your Soft Side, who I think in the last week she just partnered with, and I can't remember the 
name of the pet food company, was it $30,000 worth or was it $50,000 worth of, I think it was cat food, went out to people in need, but it didn't go out to Joe Public. It went out to the organizations in Baltimore that were looking after, the, looking, working with feral cats and things. Mm -hmm. But it's those people who've taken action, who've got the experience that I don't have and I never will have. What I have is the experience and the, the, the passion and the drive and the skill to bring those people together around a table, around on a virtual sofa, so they can learn from each other. And that's what's starting to happen is, and it, you, the likes of Deborah Hamilton with her mediation work and with her um, a planning so people can prepare themselves for the unseen eventuality that maybe when we're not here, who, who looks after the dog or if we have to go into hospital a long time or so forth. It's preparing and it's bringing that diversity. It's no good in a network like Rebound Dog to have 90% of dog trainers or 90% of lawyers. We need, as in a natural ecosystem, we need that diversity so it, mix, it mixes and meshes and so forth. And the same with bringing the likes of Mike Bober in. Some might say that PJAC is a controversial organization for some of the issues. But if we don't invite and discuss and open up the door to sit down, it's like the old union days when we went to the table like that. Right. It, it right. doesn't work. It doesn't work. We need to be have an open conversation that allows us to do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we can blossom out the other way. The reason that what you see today is 30 people from a diverse mixture and touching on dog trainers. If you look at the dog trainers in the group, the Tommy Harley's the work down in Florida does suit you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just, I, I could kiss it. his feet. If, if he wasn't in, if he was in the UK, I'd kiss his, I'd bow down and kiss his feet. Yeah. You've got, you, you know, Roman um, Godfrey. Uh, yeah, Roman Godfrey. I love, I love Roman. Yeah. <laughs> who, who, who done the work with the, the street dogs that were fighting the hundred pound fighting dogs out of New York and looked mm -hmm. at the behavior. He's one of my favorite yeah, exactly. So we've got those two in, in the U. I'm probably going to miss somebody out. In the UK, we've, the latest member to join is Becky Shuttleworth, who does similar work. She's done work with you. She does a lot of behavioral therapy work and turned a dog training business around. So she looks at, and then it's the three of them, if you think about it, looking at the behavior of the dogs, which goes back to one of your earliest comments. We were talking about the amount of the reason dogs get put into, into um, shelters, et cetera. In the UK, I think the figure from the Dogs Trust, the largest um, pet rescue, is that 30%, or is it 33%, go into rescue due to behavioural problems of one form or another. So we need those disruptive, visionary pet behaviourists to be part of that conversation. And we, you touched on the, the human therapy and the psychologist. Like, um, we, need, we need them in the conversation. We need... We need we need to well well we need we, we need the human psychologists in the in place because yes. in the end we're dealing with the humans who have to work with the animals and the human psychology aspect i think that's one of the most important things with all the pet forums and you see it on facebook and on social media and all these mm -hmm. sites um it's a bunch of uh trainers and I'm putting, I'm doing quotation marks with my fingers here. It's a bunch of trainers who all have an opinion and, uh -huh. you know, unfortunately animals just like us are individuals and yep. 
as a, the pet industry has commoditized that and taken taken the individual out of the animals and created an industry where you know this works for everybody and this is why we have failures because people who don't know any better or think they can handle it take on more than they can handle and then we have to connect it to what did this person actually need and why did they go the, to the path of getting an animal when they were to, weren't even ready to take care of their own shit yet you know so mm -hmm. yeah that human psychology is really key and um i always say you know my thing is don't get a dog until or don't get a cat until you you know um how to take care of yourself because most people don't even know how to freaking take care of themselves they need somebody else to do it am i being mean spencer no, you're not. You know, you're being realistic, and <laughs> that's what that's what's that's what's so necessary. We've got so um, effing emotional in this industry. It is. We've got so um, yeah. I think that sums it up. There's too much emotion, and we're we've also got to the stage where a lot of us are seeing, oh, I'm doing some good because I've rescued this little doggy. Aren't I cute? Aren't I good? Somebody in the UK, and she probably won't mind me saying that if she does tough, and I won't name her, she took on a Romanian street dog, like husky size. Never owned a dog in her life. And I don't know whether she's coping now, but when I talked to her last year sometimes, she certainly wasn't coping because this dog did not know how to behave in the house, and she did not know how to react to it and sit down with it and train it. Or, yeah. And this is the problem. A lot of the big dogs, they've been bred to work. Whether a German shepherd, a, a Dalmatian that was a running dog behind coach horses three centuries ago, whatever, there's been a purpose of why they're bred. And we need to consider that in our choice. And I know the rescue shelter centers, Humane Society, do an awful lot of good work in trying to marry the character of the dog to the character of the person. But we need, we still need to go beyond. I don't know what the answer is. I'm, I'm not lost for words. I just don't know what the answer is. But if we can bring the human psychologists together with the pet behaviorists, with, with the rescue centers, with the lobbyists, we've got a whole diverse mixture of, of thoughts, knowledge, experience coming around a table, sitting on a sofa that can start to have a conversation about where we go forward. Okay, now conversations are easy and they're, they can also be meaningless. We can have conversations through yes. the roof. There needs to be action plans. If, if there is no action taken, you know, like Mober, uh, Mike Bober comes in and says, we need education, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not, picking on one person because no, of no, 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 but, you know, no, no. pretty substantial, yeah. right? Yes. And he says, we need, what we need is education on the profit side and on the non-profit side. Okay. On the profit side, it's the pet industry that is creating products and foods, their brands, right? Mm -hmm. And on the non-profit side, it's rescue who's dealing with the shit that's left behind. And that mm -hmm. shit is just 
it's discombobulated, it's abused animals, it's um, people that just can't take care of their pets, you know, they made the wrong choices, or there was sickness in the family, and it's loss, it's not, it's multi-layered, it's a lot of emotion on the nonprofit side, right? Mm-hmm. So you bring the profit side, and they want to look good. I'm giving to so-and-so. I'm doing this. I am going to put myself on a pedestal. The nonprofit side takes all the bits and, you know, all the crumbs that are thrown at them and tries to do whatever it can. And they become emotionally distraught and exhausted by the amount of work that's required. And it is compassion fatigue at its worst. Mm-hmm when it comes to nonprofit with animals rescue. So it's an ugly pr- process. All of it is ugly, both on the yes. profit side, and the nonprofit mm-hmm. side. Did you guys talk about what that coming together may look like? Or is that going to be another conversation that I want to be a part of? That's another conversation that I'd love you to be a part of and chip in. It's like any meeting, any whatever. Yes, it's sowing the idea. The, the first two have started to build the trust amongst the members, so they're quite relaxed and understood that we can start to have a conversation that will we'll start to take action in the future. It can't happen. If it happened on day one, it probably isn't a problem. It's too, it's too large a problem. I think it's now just huge social issues are now called wicked problems, which are never caused by one person, one organization. And neither are they fixed by one person, one organization. It's very complicated. It, it certainly is. And that's why it needs a global audience, a global um, participation, because there's so many different, and in, including on the political side of way funding happens and the way markets are distributed it's so different from what's happening with your industry in the pet food business or in the nutrition business in new york probably in different states in the uk in the us certainly to what happens in the uk us and uk and certainly different to what's happening in australia and india mm-hmm. there's an example i'll bring you right up to date there's a colleague of mine um vandana i think her surname is anchalia she runs a pet rescue in New Delhi in India where there are five million street dogs on the, on the street and she takes the worst. And her business model is to rehabilitate them and she does wonderful work and she's doing it for several years. And her husband has a pet transport business that flies them into the US and Canada, which is the only market for them to find. It costs thousands of dollars to do so. And there's very generous Americans, Canadians who pay that price. She posted the other day that your President Biden has changed, was changing some new, changing a law, political structure, preventing imports of those dogs from Arabian, rabies infected country, okay, i.e. So India. Let's, let's start with, it's not our President Biden, it's Pijak, actually. You should contact okay. Mike, he's very involved uh, in this. Okay, I, I will go back to him, I'll put the you two should. in touch. Thank, thank you very much. Pijak has a lot to do with what, what the legislation that goes into transports of animals. It, it, it has no, nothing to do. That's where the lobbyists come in. It, okay. also, it, 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 brilliant. I got to tell you one more thing. There are animals being bred left and right in the U.S. Left and right. The shelters mm-hmm. are full, right? Mm-hmm. There's backyard breeders. There's um, breeders that have, do 
that breed with integrity. And then there's the puppy mills, right? So when you put all that together, all these animals being bred and all this information on social media about, you know, how this dog was saved and how that dog was saved Mm -hmm. from what? From somebody who went and bought that dog after seeing him in a window, right? That information isn't being shared. Some dope went and bought that dog when they were incapable and ready and the pet stores that sold it to them didn't do any background checks, didn't know if they were animal abusers. It's, it's a discombobulated process. It's a, it's just like someone's just take, just pissing in the wind, right? Uh-huh. Wherever the piss blows, it blows. So, you know, that's just how the industry is. It's wherever the money is, it goes. And, you know, these animals coming from India or from anywhere else, whether they have, you know, they can be inoculated for rabies or not. It, there needs to be, well, first of all, why do we have the customers in the US and Canada? Why do we have all the people that want these animals in the US and Canada where, when our shelter systems are completely full, when our rescues are having a hard time placing these animals in homes? I, I, I don't know, I'll be blunt, I don't know. So they have I don't the same- I don't understand that. And, and if these animals in India, the, the industry, the, the pet industry in, in India is booming. There's more and more pet stores opening up in India. And they are, there are wonderful pet owners and companies in India. Why not work within the region that you're in instead of transporting animals at such high costs? What's the information under that? I agree, I agree because I don't agree with the idea of doing it because I can't understand why you need to ship an animal so far. There's, there's um, criticism of animals that are rescued in the south of the United States and shipped into the northeast right. over several, several thousand miles. And we have the same thing in the UK. If you think we're an island off Europe, there's what we call Eastern Europe and Russia, mm-hmm. where they are being, and I've touched on Romanian dogs, where for different reasons, even though our shelters are full in the UK, why are we bringing dogs into the, uh, from abroad? We have the other problem, not only are the rescues being brought in from Eastern Europe, we have the designer puppies, the little cute chihuahuas and the papillons and so forth, that are coming in from, you touched on puppy mills, from the puppy mill backstreet breeders in the Russia, that are coming in as the handbag dogs of the celebrities at thousands of dollars, or thousands of pounds with such health conditions they're dying in three weeks it's horrendous but if we've got a this is what i don't get this is where i really i can scratch my head all night long and i've got no hair left why do we why do there's something that's what i said there's something we've been doing this rescue for over 100 years yeah but there's money here and we i said we're recycling yes it's it's money driven it's money driven exactly and I'm not saying that their nonprofit is not helping a ton of animals, but why is there a, why is there an appetite in this, in the U S in North America for these animals being transported from India? Why? uh, When the shelter system down the block from the same guy that's finding financing the transport of this animal, that's full and seven dogs are going to be put to sleep because they're out of room. So what is the disconnect here? Can we find out at one of your meetings? 
Yes, it'd be great to explore because it's a thing I have a, I will stand up and speak my mind on it and upset a lot of people on it because I don't think it's correct that so we do that transport. Do I, don't, I don't think it's correct. I don't think it's necessary. I'll be blunt and I'll say one of the problems we have in the UK is the, and I've got a feeling it's happening in the States as well, is there's, um, within the rescue world, there's, an, there's an, what I call as the middle class elitism. Goes back to the old Victorian charity model of, oh, I'm doing good. I'm running this sh shelter. I will just, because I'm, we run this shelter. We will do, that goes back to my original conversation about disadvantaged people that people aren't listening to. We've rescued, I've personally had rescue dogs for 50 years since I was a kid in school. The first one was a lassie dog that somebody dumped in a pub car park. Spent my life, teenage years, walking down the beach after my mum had died. So it's probably my therapy dog, but I never described it as such because I don't do therapy. I just fight my own way out of it. But there's this snobbery. And it goes back to the problem with the charity model that is it actually solving the problem? And if you've got shelters in the US that are having, I'll use the, I'll be having to euthanize because they haven't got an outlet for them, we need to sit back and look at what the, take a step back and stop just doing the same thing. As we come out of COVID, we talk about being a compassionate society, but are we actually addressing the problem is what is behind the problem? Or are we just making ourselves, oh, look nice, I've got a shirt, you know, I've got a shirt. Yep. Are we doing that? How much of it is on the surface? How much of it is about the person? You know, how too, much of it too, is about perception? Too fucking much. Rebound Dog has to be that disruptive platform that has these awkward conversations. And yes, I personally will upset people because I've got fed up with it. Because otherwise, if, we, if I don't get fed up with it and start saying it, we have to sit down and discuss how we go forward so we find a solution to this but unless we bring both sides together or all the sides everybody together because mm -hmm. what happens is most things become blocked into a what you call a silo yeah. what the americans yeah. call and you become so inch the rescue world does any 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 society does any community does whether it's the village community doing the the village hall or whatever you call it in the States or whatever, it becomes insular into its own viewpoint and its own group of people who create their own adulation. They suck up to each other. We need to bring in those that are willing to make a stand, say we need to change. And unless we start to do so today in July 2021, in July 3031, no, 2031, <laughs> We're gonna could be thirty thirty one. God help us. Yeah, gonna it's not gonna change. And we need to we need to find these outcomes. And one of the things I was considering today is how do we find an outlet? And you and I have had this conversation a while ago. How do we find an outlet for some of these dogs that goes back to my earlier opening part of the comment, how do we find an outlet for some of these dogs so they can actually have a value in society rather than just be perceived as this, oh, my dogs are downstairs and they've gone to sleep at this time of day. But 
how do we, instead of having this cute little furball and go, oh, isn't this nice to hold? And aren't they goody two shoes for rescuers? How do we find a value for them so they, they contribute? And, and, and they, they want, I mean, these animals are contributors. They're contributors. Yes. And, you know, when you have companies like in, in the U.S., Petco, you know, yes, um, yep. yeah, they, they market for animals bringing goodness to the human. You know, take your animals to work. Um, mm. it, there's less stress when you have animals. They keep marketing in that way, but no one considers the well-being of the animals. And... That's the thing that needs to be discussed. And would it be fair for me to say now that rebound dog is going to be a change maker when it comes to the conversation about animal welfare? Is it, are you going to be the change maker? Are you gonna be the one who brings people together so we can have these uncomfortable conversations? Is that what your goal is? Cause that's what I thought it was. Yes, it is, because we don't have these uncomfortable conversations. We're just going to think we're doing wonderfully good and the world's perfect, and it's not perfect. Yeah, we suck uh, ass. I mean, seriously, we sometimes, I mean, we just, we, a lot of people talk out of their asses, and then it's like... No, it, ha it has to be. It has to be a disruptive change maker. And if people that, it people will find rebound dog that want to have that uncomfortable conversation wish to contribute to it wish to have come in with an idea and say hang on a minute if we did this instead of doing that what is the what if conversations and the how and you've talked about action it's how yes we can have these what if conversations get very philosophical but besides being philosophical and altruistic what can we do where is the money in your $1 billion per annum mm -hmm. United States pet industry, which is, I've forgotten the figure in this country, it's six, I've forgotten how many millions it is, but it's, it's way smaller, but it's certainly a big chunk of money. Yeah. So the global pet industry is phenomenal, phenomenally rich. How do we use that? Not just for giving, so it gives and, oh, I've done something good and I, my business is donating 10% to XYZ, but how do, they, how do they actually participate so they're being real in their actions? And how do they, so how do they contribute? Not just by giving them money and not just by, if they give money to a project, not just by saying, oh, we've given you $2 million, we want you to do X, Y, and Z. No, 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 no. We would, and it, it can't, it can't be influenced because if you have financial influence that's too strong, you lose the direction and the opportunity to create real change. So let me ask you about some of your members. So you have several psychologists, people in the psychology field, and then uh -huh. you have um, writers who have written books about uh, how to introducing dog, a new dog into the home and not every home can have a dog. Um, you have some people that can actually impact change. Don't you have someone who is the head of Humane Society in, one, in Chicago as well? Am yeah, I, Tom, Van, Tom Van Winkle is, right. is, is Hinsdale, which is virtually in Chicago where he's been CEO for three years. And okay. um, I, you talked about awkward conversations and I spoke my mind in a conversation 
whether it was on a sofa or whether it was pre-sofa when we're testing it out. And I, I brought up this subject of snobbery and elitism in the rescue world. And he said they spent the first three years going to, I'll call them network news and saying, oh, we've been there and we're rebuffed or something like that. And he's gone about changing it. So it isn't, doesn't have that elitist attitude. And it's those visionary humane society people we want in because again it's an unlicensed industry it is right it is unlicensed and this is probably one of the problems i'm not saying everything should be certified and so forth maybe that is necessary i don't know but one of the problems is anybody can set up a with the money can set up a rescue a shelter a humane society whatever you want to call it whether it's one person rescuing a few kittens off the street as a feral cat's or whether it's somebody growing big enough to find the philanthropic funding to create a huge humane society through one of the beneficiaries. There seems to be, there's no, there's no regulation and so forth. So we need people who will consider how we go forward and how we contribute. So yes, there is a diversity in that mixture of members. And going back to Karen Walsh's book of One-Eyed Leo, He's looked at it from the point of view, how do you educate a child before they have mummy and daddy bite the dog? So they're aware of the responsibility. That book has now got into the Australian Dog Lovers Club as the seventh in the list, and it's unique. And if you talk about members and members integrating, um, Tiffany Vernier, who's just introduced a dog to the household, bought a copy so she can educate her daughter. And the rave reviews they put on the site is, thank you, it's just what we needed. We can actually start to plan forward. Uh, I'll make sure I have a link to Kieran's book on, on the uh, show notes. I think it's thank an you. important book for- It, it is, because it, it, it disrupts. And what he, what he said in the sofa meter, he said, my book will be successful when a certain percentage, I can't remember what he said, maybe 30, 40% of children who read it don't actually go and get a dog because it goes back to what you said earlier, Taz. It's whether the person is correct and responsible to have that dog in the first place. And if we're looking at education for the future, we need to start not with my generation, but with the, the next generation and the future generations. Mm -hmm. So that is one of the slow transformations. We'll see if we can re-educate children into how do we behave. And I touched on... Um, brain's gone. Caroline Griffin shows you soft side where she's educating the kids through this through partnerships with the American footballers so it's not cool to hurt a dog and be a gang and so it's again it's child education it's changing it's changing future generations so they become more responsible how, how do we relate to that dog okay let me ask you a question Go on. who's your next guest on the sofa i haven't picked and that is being honest but i'm looking at somebody of a similar i was about to use the word status <laughs> just, somebody what? i was about to use the word status but that's blows um somebody who can contribute to the conversation and what i'm also looking at is maybe not just in the pet industry maybe somebody in the 
social good industry, somebody who is in um, social networks, somebody who has done something on a, on a large global scale that has had a conversation and shows evidence of how they had went through what I'm going through at the moment or what we're going through at the moment as a startup and can bring something to the table. Okay. And how can people join your organization if they want to be involved, if they want to sit in on these meetings? Where do they go to find you? Rebound Dog slash Membership Village. How, how much um, is the membership right now? Just $25 a month. It's less than a couple of Costa Coffees in New York next to Brooklyn Bridge, you know. <laughs> Probably, you know it's, it, it, it's, it's dirt cheap, but it's, mm -hmm. done, it's done to grow. It's, and so it's a no-brainer to join. It doesn't have to be think, oh, if I join this, I don't have to leave anything. No, the cost is not prohibitive. And what does that get the member? Initially, it will give you a um, personalized membership certificate. It will also give you, I've partnered Rebound Dog with an organization called Buy One Give One, which is a global doing good initiative. Um, and part of that, what the chairman, uh, Paul Dunn, and a guy in the UK called Steve Pipe wrote a book called Our Time to Rise, which teaches businesses how to do social good, um, for which I've written a forward to one of the e-copies. That's, I think, got an Amazon value of $45. I'm giving that away free as a perk, so you get your first membership free. Um, what else have I thrown in? I'm passionate about connecting people with a purpose. So we have a reason to connect rather than you talk about social media and all these likes and 10,000 members. No, you go and connect with somebody because there's a reason behind doing it. Mm -hmm. So I wrote a, a cheat sheet, whatever you want to call it, of six tips of how to do so from looking at diversity and so forth and actually doing so without taking away the ego. So we're doing it and being of service that that comes free and off the top of my head there's something else no? <laughs> i can't remember but yes there'll be something i'm quite relaxed about it there's something else i have to go through somebody's email so what did i throw in i i will list um i will fi i'll find the other on one the if you show want notes i will list everything about you and rebound dog on the show notes so people can access it easily when okay. they listen so that will all be present and i'm really excited to find out who your next guest is going to be because i can't wait to be there i think conversations are the start of doing good but um taking action is where the world starts to evolve and yes. um can i make a can i make a suggestion because i'm so yeah, of course you can. Like you, you've gotten to know me already over the last. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like no, I'll just put the shit out I... there. <laughs> so, invite Mike Bober back and let's talk about this issue about the vaccinations and about transporting animals from other countries into the U.S. and why the uh, 
why we're not addressing the overpopulation in our shelter systems. How do we, what steps can we take jointly? What can we do between whether it's humane society or um, smaller groups? How do we come together with an organization like PJAC? And what steps can we take together, whether it's with legislation mm-hmm. or education? And what is the next step? We can't just have one meeting. We need a next step meeting with that mm-hmm. guest about this great idea. Let's not let it hang too long. Let's take the next steps and start making things happen. That's interesting because I hadn't thought of it. Um, yes, I know it's necessary, but it, initially I thought of bringing in five different guests to give a whole different spectrum over the next few months. But it could lose the plot. If we bring back one back, it starts to revolve. So the first meeting, third meeting, maybe four or five. And it doesn't matter if it's the same person coming in three, four times in a row, because that's how you start to snowball. Mm-hmm. Because the idea stays fresh in your mind. Because by the time somebody comes back from um, May meeting, somebody say, what were, what were you talking about? Yeah, and, and also lost, you, what's happened since the first meeting? Has yeah. there been any action? What have we accomplished? Mm-hmm. What steps have been taken? Is there someone that's going to take ownership? And where's the support going to come from? Is PJAC going to support this process? And how does that, what does that look like? Just sitting around on a couch, that's fun. Mm-hmm. We get to know each other. Yeah. But are we doing any good? Yes, it opens up conversation, but I want the next steps. And I think that you have the ability to make that happen. You've already started. Thank you. You're welcome. Anything else you want to leave us with? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to go on a soapbox. <laughs> no, no, I don't mind. I love it. <laughs> I love. I love your directness because I, I don't want people to. I don't have all the answers. Right. I never will. We'll, we'll do that. That'd be great. Yeah, I'll, I'll go back and invite him. Yeah. That's a Say good something. Idea. But what? What? Also, whether this is recorded, what concerned me not so much about. Um, why this lady in India is shipping dogs is just one issue. But what concerned me was how quickly a legislation or something can impact a business model. Yeah. Sure. And it's like, it's like, I can't think, the 80-20 thing, you've got too, too much, your, your market is one direction. And I went back and said, how many, why don't, how did you ever look at B1, buy one, get, give one initiative because they're they're working with a charity in Nepal that vaccinates street dogs. My question would be how much of that money that goes to transport could be used to neuter and spay these animals so there's no longer an overpopulation over yeah. a period of time the mm-hmm. population diminishes right yes. we all die. Yes. Yes. So how much of that money and that that transport cost is extreme. I think um, it was $5,000 or something okay. like that. So how much of that money could be used to house the animals that are already there and living in and, and create safe environments for them living in that country within on the streets and teaching people? How much of that money can be used to internally teach the residents 
of that country about how to care for these animals. So there's a whole volunteer program. Why are we, you know, when you say these silos in the U.S., these silos are everywhere where there's humans. Oh, yes, yes. Humans create silos because it's a comfort zone they have, and then they want to make, they want to have some kind of profit out of it so they can help others. Profit Uh to survive and to use a part of that profit to help. And it's this do good, feel good, and survive mentality. And you know what? You can put that money into your community and help that community. First fix that community where those uh-huh. animals are. She's already done good with rehabbing, right? I don't know, yeah. I don't know anything about this. So no, no. I'm talking but, out of my but, ass. But, you know? but what I looked at, Taz, was the fact that if they looked at initiatives to address the rabies problem within animals, to reduce that impact, if there wasn't a rape, it's a big ask because rabies is horrendous out there. But if you reduced the problem, going back to this, looking behind yourself or what the problem is, the problem is rabies. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, that's, that's so if, it, on the yeah, surface, that's it, the problem. That's on that's the surface. The, so, so if you reduce that, then you've got the issue of ownership and so and, and education and so forth. But if you remove part of that in the first place, then maybe you don't need to transport the animals out or there wouldn't have been a problem transporting the animals out. So you have to look at what's because it's not just the legislation that Bjack sliced, sliced Biden is starting to introduce to protect their own selves. And personally, I don't see why they shouldn't. Yeah, or you shouldn't, should I say. But you need to, it's a whole, there's something else behind the problem. What's behind, what's behind what you think is the problem? Mm-hmm. And that's what Rebound Dog wants to have these conversations for us. What's the problem behind what you think is the problem? Yeah, we need to get deeper. It can't be just on the surface. You know? But no, no, we no. started with saying our President Biden is stopping the transport. And that's why I had to stop you because it goes, it, there's so much more depth to it. Yeah, and well, that's how it, that's how it came out through. That's I the only bit okay. I saw. And it was, just, it was just a quick introduction. Yes, I know there's a lot more behind it. But, and that's the way it is with a lot of the things that are happening with animals, whether it's the wet markets, what, whatever it is, we are not looking at what is really the core issue. We mm-hmm. keep glossing over it. If we keep glossing yeah. over shit, we're going to only kind of scratch that itch on the surface and nothing good is going to come of it. And we're, the, the suffering is going to continue. So if your goal is to stop the suffering, for both the humans and the animals and bring it together so we're all doing good, then I'm in, I'm with you, I'm with Rebound Dog. Okay. Let's do it. It has to be done. Mm-hmm.